Hey everyone, it's Jeff from MCS Mag. You know, when I when it comes to bug out evacuation, conversations that I have with other survivalists typically lead into like three different thought processes. There's the camp that thinks that they will never have to bug out. There's another that imagines themselves just basically throwing on their bug out bag and wandering across the wasteland. And then there's the camp that thinks that they'll just be able to waltz right out the front door, get into the family bug out mobile, and then head on off to grandma's house without a hitch. The truth is is that during any sort of a major disaster, crisis, or collapse, all sorts of things can go wrong and disrupt your plan. And when Murphy's Law decides to screw with you, you damn well better have a backup. And that's what this week's broadcast is all about, as we dive deep into your Plan B evacuation transportation. My buddy Kevin has some great tips to help you think outside the box, and I know you're going to love this one. Check this out. bullets were flying, your adrenaline surging, would you hit your target? If the world as you know it crumbled tomorrow, collapsed into chaos, would you know how to survive? If you and those you loved were cornered by a gang, violently attacked, could you protect them? Could you protect them? Could you protect them? Tactical firearms training, urban survival, close quarters combat. This, this is another podcast to help you better prepare for any threat you may face in your role as a protector and a patriot. This is Modern Combat and Survival. Too many preppers and survivalists believe that when the excrement strikes the oscillating temperature moderation device... They're going to leap into their armored camouflage or OD green monster truck that can climb a mountain and drive underwater that has hidden weapons compartments and a chest full of gold bars strapped to the roof right next to that mounted gun turret. The reality is that even if you do have the world's best bug out vehicle, even if the tank is filled and you have auxiliary gas tanks strapped to the outside, there's still going to be obstacles that you have to overcome. For example, you're only going to get as far as you have fuel to go. And the best maintained vehicles still break down. Highways can be clogged with much less prepared citizens trying to get away from a disaster. There could also be checkpoints and roadblocks on the highway trying to stop you every step of the way. So what are you going to do when your carefully laid plan to climb into your doomsday truck and drive out of Dodge is dead in the water before you even begin? Well, that's what we're here to find out. Hello, everyone. This is Jeff Anderson, editor for Modern Combat Travel Magazine and editor for the New World Patriot Alliance with another podcast to help you better prepare for any threat you may face in your role as a protector and a patriot. And my guest today to talk about alternative means of getting out of Dodge is survival expert and author Kevin Estella. Kevin, welcome back to the program, man. Hey, thanks, Jeff, for having me. It's great to be back. Always good to have you on. Always good to have you on. Listen, everyone, if you haven't heard one of our other interviews with Kevin, uh, you're in for a real treat. He is the owner and head instructor of Estella Wilderness Education and a regular contributing author for various websites and magazines. He's also a guest speaker at various sportsman shows, speaking engagements, and webinars where he teaches bushcraft and survival skills. And he's even been featured on the History Channel as an on-air survival expert. And on top of all of that, Kevin is also an accomplished martial artist with ranks in applied self-defense and Brazilian jiu-jitsu, and he's an instructor in Sayak Khalif Filipino martial arts. He's also had extensive tactical firearms training, but it's his expertise when it comes to bugging out that we're after today. Now, to learn more about Kevin and his training, make sure that you go visit him online on his website at www.kevinestella.com, and that's K-E-V-I-N-E-S-T-E-L-A.com. 
All right, Kevin, let's go ahead and jump into this. Now, I've already made a case for why we need to consider alternative bug-out vehicles in the first place, but obviously, if I live in the middle of the Arizona desert, I don't need a 30-foot houseboat to get out of Dodge. So when people are planning out their evacuation plan to begin with, like their transportation of how they're going to get away, what's the best way for them to look at like alternative transportation as part of that overall evacuation plan? Well, um, the first thing I would tell people is to not just think of location, you know, which is, you know, what's relative to you, like, hey, I'm in the middle of the desert, or hey, I'm here in New England. I would say you've got to think of destination. You've got to think of where you're going, you know, what's your, what's your final destination? Uh, and if you plan on even coming back to your, to your home where you, where you originally started. Um, sometimes people get wrapped up in saying, well, I'm going to, I'm here, so I only need this. But you don't know what your route is going to look like. Um, going to that destination. So I think it's really important to think where you're headed before you even begin to, to plan what kind of vehicle that you're going to use for that. The other thing that drives me really crazy is when people think, oh, bugging out, and they use it in a defensive term. Um, I'm really sick of, uh, of the term bugging out uh, used that way because it puts you in a, a, a position of weakness. Bugging out doesn't necessarily have to be running from something. It could be running towards you know, people think of running to their safe rooms in their house in case of a home invasion. And, you know, I think it's really important to think of that safe room as a war room instead. You know, they, the, whoever, whatever threat has entered your home should be afraid that you're in your war room. They shouldn't be afraid of you in your safe room. Hmm. So I think it's really important when you look at a bug out vehicle or a, uh, if you want to call it an armed retreat vehicle, to think of where you're headed to, what kind of threats you're going to face along the way, and if that vehicle is going to provide the protection from those threats, whether they're environmental or they're, they're human. I think that's really important. Um, the second thing is you should also think about what is the limitation of the people that you're traveling with. Um, bicycles might be great for little kids, but, again, bicycles aren't going to provide protection from people that can snatch and grab um, but those little kids might not be able to drive a vehicle. They might not be able to operate a car. So I really think you need to think about the the skill set of each person in your party uh, who will be moving from point A to point B, bugging out or doing that armed retreat. Yeah. I mean, that gives a real methodical analysis for people to really kind of step back, take a take a step back from everything. Don't get too caught up in, in how – you know, how massive your hoopty is that you're going to take out, out of the garage. Yeah. But, but really like looking at it from your, like, I like people to look at it from their plan. And most people don't go beyond just how they're, what they're going to use for transportation and look at things like that. And you're right. It's, it's so critical. Well, let's talk about what some of the alternatives are. I mean, obviously the best thing, if somebody can get into a vehicle and escape, that's going to give them the best means of being able to get to their destination faster without if if those obstacles aren't in the way but the, everything that we're talking about is the alternative to that or the backup plan for that or it might be a primary plan for that based upon their assessment like you said but some of those let's take a look at some of those other options that people have now you brought up like a bicycle and we've done an entire podcast on the bicycle before because i think it's it really is such a great option as a backup primarily, but who knows, right? But I wanted to get your take on it because I think you did an entire an entire article on this for, I think it was like Recoil Magazine, but when it comes to the bicycle as an alternative form of, of evacuation transportation, what are the things that you think make the bicycle a really good choice and maybe what are some of the liabilities that someone needs to take into account as well? 
Well, the bicycle is great if all all conditions are are satisfactory. I mean, if you have fair weather, bicycles are great to ride. Uh, if you have even terrain, they're great. You hit a hill, well, bicycles they they lose their appeal once once people have to actually start working with them. But like everything else, we have to consider there are advantages and disadvantages to all forms of transportation. And in the case of a bicycle, the great advantage is that you're able to roll the weight that you want to carry instead of having to hold it in your arms or put it on your back. And rolling provides a mechanical advantage. So the bicycle is fantastic because it can move your 210 pounds or your however much you weigh a lot easier than your legs can, and it can move you faster too. As mentioned before, the bicycle is great for, for little kids because the whole family could be on bicycles, and you could take like a rails-to-trail path far from your home or to your next uh, to your next refuge. The issue that I have with bicycles is that they're very susceptible not just to what could be laid in their track, but also to human injury. You know, you notice a lot of tactical trainers telling everyone now you should have a tourniquet on you. And that's because the reality is, is you, we're not shooting at people who are helpless. They're probably armed, you know, whether, whether guns or knives, they could do damage to us. Um, my, my, my instructor, Tuan Tom Kyer, says that if a man doesn't have a tourniquet, he's a failure at being a man. Um, well, if you think about it, if, if your arm or your leg or both your arm and your leg are injured, well, how easy is it to pedal a bicycle with one leg? How easy is it to pedal a bicycle and maneuver through obstacles with one arm? I mean, sure, there are people that can ride bikes without both hands and they could pedal for miles, but if you really needed to move evasively, you're putting your hands on that handlebar. So bicycles are great. Uh, I mean, you, the, other action, the other ability that you have with a bike, too, is you can carry it. So you could put a bicycle over your shoulder and hop the fence. You can't do that with a car. Um, but again, the trade-off is there. You're extremely, extremely exposed, and bicycles have, have small wheels, so they're not going to be able to go over the same type of terrain uh, like tires on, a, on a, uh, an actual automobile could that have much thicker sidewalls and, and treads. So good and bad, I mean, a bicycle, you have to, you have to weigh it smartly uh, and intelligently before you decide, hey, this is how I'm going to move from point A to point B. Yeah, I think as far as people taking taking it on as like it is an option, I think anybody that's been in traffic in an area where there are also bicyclists, it's really frustrating like when you're stuck in traffic and you might even go by somebody who's bicycling and then like three minutes later you're stopped and they blow by you again. And then you, you know, you, you once again pass them by a little bit and then you're stopped again and then they blow right by you again. And it's like, when you think about the dynamics of a disaster, that that could be you. While everybody else is really locked up because there's somebody that's broken down up ahead or out of gas or whatever, and that becomes a parking lot on the highway, then this really is a viable option that people should do. But like you said, it requires special attention to, okay, if you're going to choose this, if you're going to have this as part of your evacuation plan, there are things that you need to do to plan that out. Um, I don't know if it's too soon to go into that or not, but I mean, there are some things maybe with the bike that are, are, are key points. I know one thing I've done differently. I've, uh, one of the things that was suggested to us by, uh, in, in one of the last interviews was that the ideal, the ideal bicycle is typically like a touring bike because it's, it's designed for long haul. It's designed for the roads, but 
when you go looking for those things, and I used to I used to race bicycles when I was like in high school and just after high school, road bikes, but touring bikes are like four and five thousand dollars. Like it's not you don't just go into the local bike store. Typically, they might have one there, but because they're really expensive. And there's there's got to be a way. In fact, for me, I just changed out my tires to make them more road tires instead of it being an off-road bike, which is really difficult to ride in. But just just things like that, like changing out the tires. Are there any other kind of like key points you think that would would make a bicycle maybe better bug out worthy? Well, one thing that people don't realize is there's there's that program now called City Bike where people can sign up with an ATM card and or a credit card and they can rent a bicycle short term they don't even actually have to own the bike but they can drop it off at any number of locations i've seen them in new york city and boston i've seen them in miami <laughs> so if people are concerned about space like let's say that they live in a really uh really tight apartment as long as they know where they could find a bicycle they might be able to get out of out of harm's way with that bike. Mm-hmm. Um, so even if you you don't have a bike of your own, I would suggest people knowing where they could find one. Um, and granted, I'm not I'm not condoning uh, theft, but in an emergency, if that bicycle is your means of egress, well, I mean, I guess you could apologize afterwards, yeah. uh, even if it's not your own bike. Um, in terms of the the modifications I would make to any bicycle, I would definitely include some type of uh, headlamp some type of high-powered headlamp. I mean, the, the advancements in headlamp technology have, are, are really remarkable from where they were 20 years ago. And some of the lights now are as bright as the small spotlights that you find on some Jeeps. So I would look at that so you could not limit yourself to just the daytime travel, but you could travel at night. Um, and I would also look at ways that you could hastily stash gear onto that bike. So bicycle racks or even a tow-behind uh, kids carrier. You know, you see a lot of kids just riding along behind their parents. That doesn't necessarily have to be for a kid. It could be for any number of supplies. Yeah, what I like about that, too, it's kind of covert, right? Like somebody might attack you if you were, if it was just you on a bike, but if you're carrying a kid carrier behind you, people might be less likely to attack someone that also has what what could be a child stuffed in the back of like that little mesh uh, that little mesh camper thing there. And the other thing that I'd never thought about that you just brought up, like what if you are injured? Like it is hard to ride a bike with two, with only one leg. But you know if you have if you have uh, foot clips that like ratchet in your your boot or whatever. In a worst case scenario, you could essentially kind of because you can pull up with those as well as push right. down. It certainly isn't the most efficient way to move on, but if you're injured or something, rather than just dying in place, um, it might be an option for you to get out of the location. Just you know, gives you another option. But yeah. All right, we've been talking with Kevin Estella from KevinEstella.com about coming up with your backup plan for a forced evacuation when the highways are nothing but a big parking lot after a disaster. And we have a lot more to get to, including bugging out without wheels your four-legged bug-out buddies, and how to make bugging out on foot easier, more effective, and more efficient. All that more coming right up. But first, a word from our sponsor at the FrontSight Firearms Training Institute at FrontSight.com. Now, FrontSight is like Disneyland for responsibly armed citizens with over 50 tactical courses for everything from handgun to shotgun, rifle, scenario-based training, and even sniper, Uzi, and edge weapon training. And this month, we are giving away four commander-level memberships to the Front Sight Institute, a $25,000 value for free 
where you can take any of their courses as many times as you want for the rest of your life and even stay for free at their on-site hotel. Now, there are all other kinds of bonuses and extras that are included in the special giveaway. And all you have to do for your chance to win is to enter at www.moderncombatandsurvival.com slash contest and see all the other opportunities for increasing your chances for being a winner. And now, let's get back to the show. All right, Kevin, let, let's talk about boats and canoes on the waterways. I mean, what's the best What's the best type of boat for bugging out? And what and what kind of makes it better when we're looking at our waterborne choices for getting out of an area? What are some of the considerations that we need to look at when it comes to this? Uh, I would definitely recommend solo boats over tandem boats for bugging out or or moving uh, discreetly. You know, the the large two person canoes that we probably all learned how to paddle on as as kids or teenagers, those are great when you have a partner, but if you need to paddle that boat on your own, it, it becomes a lot of boat to paddle. Uh, my personal boat that I use is a Hornbeck. It's an ultralight canoe. It's actually only about 14 or 15 pounds, yet I can carry 400 pounds of gear in it, including myself, and I'm normally not carrying a 100-pound backpack anyway. So with that 14 or 15-pound canoe, I can literally pick it up with one finger at the end of the day. And if I needed to do a full-on sprint with that canoe, that is not an issue. I mean, I have rifles that weigh more than 15 pounds, you know, for bench rest shooting. So it's not a problem to run with a 14-pound canoe. That canoe, uh, it does require some skill. There, there's no doubt about it. I mean, when you're canoeing, when you're on the water, you need to have balance. You need to have some level of athleticism. Uh, canoeing isn't just a, a sport left for people who drive Subarus and are uh, – our Green Party supporters and, you know, our retired teachers. I mean, canoeing is, it's an Olympic sport. And if you know how to use a canoe, they can be incredibly quick. The issues with using canoes, though, you have to worry about, uh, not dehydration. Well, yeah, I guess dehydration. If you're going a really far distance, you don't have water. But you have to worry about hypothermia. You have to worry about the water obstacles, shallow water, obstructions, hazards. You have to worry about the spray that could be coming on your face from, from a wind that takes it off your paddle and how quickly or slowly that can zap the heat from your body. You have to understand that you might be using a canoe where there are power boats that won't be able to see you, so you could potentially get hit from behind or from, from head on. The good thing about using a canoe is that they are untouchable. I mean, Native Americans used them prior to, to settlers coming to this country for, for hundreds, if not thousands of years, and they were able to sneak up on prey. They could hunt from, from their canoe if they needed to. So, I mean, they have no presence in the water when you pick up that paddle and you let the current take you or when you glide with them. And even if you want to paddle discreetly, you can limit the amount of splash that your paddle makes. So there's a lot of considerations when it comes to a canoe, but one of the things that I can, I can tell you is that you're pretty much untouchable if you're in the middle of, of, a, of a river that's a pretty wide river or lake because people aren't going to walk on water and they're not going to swim after you. Yeah. And it seems like it would also be good, like, secondary transportation when you do get to any sort of a safety retreat or something like that. If you have waterways near you, a lot of times, again, you don't – especially in things like a power outage or, or things where there are there is no fuel available – if you're driving around in a vehicle, that makes you a target. If you're trying to go in to, you know, get some supplies or, or anything like that, you kind of make yourself a target if you're the only one who has a vehicle. Whereas if you have a bicycle or a canoe, because you can take waterways in to, um, to town centers, because a lot of them have waterways going right through the town, 
then it'd be a good kind of secondary mode of, of transportation for that too. Yeah, and believe it or not, there's actually some ultralight guys that are using bicycles and canoes where they have a folding uh, canoe set of wheels that they can tow their canoe behind their bike. Oh, really? So if you, if, yeah, if you really needed to, to get away and, and you wanted to leave a minimal impact, you could ride your bicycle from your house towing a small 14 or 15-pound canoe. You could stash your bike somewhere, conceal it, take the, take the canoe even further. There's no one that would be able to track you. Um, I mean, if you really needed to get away and, and have a retreat, say like up in the Adirondacks, there's some water waterways up there, some some carries from from lake to lake, where you could literally disappear and no one would find you for for months, if not years, if you needed to. Ah, oh, that is ninja. That is ninja. In fact, what, what's ironic is that I'm leaving uh, next week with my son for a backwoods canoe trip in the Adirondacks. So this is going to be very coincidental. Um, all right, well, let's talk about an option that a lot of survivalists really might not consider, and that's actual, like, four-legged living creatures. Now, I can think of horses, and we've talked before at MCS Magazine about using, like, large dogs to carry some of our gear and things like that, because, you know, you can carry load-bearing equipment on a dog. They make harnesses for these things. What are the, the main considerations as you see them for maybe bugging out on a horse or with the assistance of some other sort of a of a pack animal or something like that? I know a lot of survivalists link maybe like donkeys, for example, but but what are what are some options when it comes to maybe living creatures? Uh the the three uh, if if I had to narrow it down to like three of the considerations that that a person really needs to think about when they are discussing using living creatures for, for bugging out or movement, psychology, food supply, and identification. So you're, you're, if you're using a donkey or using a horse or using a dog, uh, it's your pet, but to someone else, your animal could be a food source. Now, the, the thing is, I mean, history has shown us that there are groups like the Donner Party that resorted to eating their pack animals before they ate each other. But, you know, and it's more of a long-term scenario, but you have to understand that your your animal might be food to someone else who, who might be really hungry. <clears throat> you know, one of the things that we can say is, is that animals need different care than uh, a vehicle does. And we are, there's no doubt about it. Human beings, we're, we're emotional creatures. I mean, we, we want to be as logical as we can be, but we, we do have emotional thinking. And our animals are going to, to be a companion. So we might not want to push our animal as far as we'll push a vehicle. You know, you might hear your engine strain, and you might think, well, the engine can take it, the engine can take it. You know, you might hear your, your brakes grinding and, and not think much of it. But the moment that you hear an animal wince in pain or whimper, you're, you're probably not going to push that animal as far, which could limit your survivability in the long run. The other thing they have to think about is how are you going to feed it? You know, are you going to have it carry its own food? Are you going to choose an animal that doesn't need you to carry food and it can graze on its own? Or are you going to choose an animal where it might be able to eat the food that you, you know, get from nature or the food that you carry? And if that's the case, how much food is that animal going to take from you every single day? It's like inviting a second person into your into your bug out bunker um, or your your bug in bunker. I mean, every day that they're there, they're they're taken away from your food supply. And the the final thing that you have to think about, in addition to psychology and food supply, is the identification. You know, it's kind of like having a vanity plate on your car. You know, that says like tough guy or something like that. You know, a person would remember tough guy a lot sooner than they would a random set of numbers and and letters. Well, an animal can be a, an easy way to be identified on a trail 
for a predator who's thinking, oh, I'll catch up to him eventually. Oh, I remember that golden retriever that had the, you know, the brown uh, backpack on or, or dog pack, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. So you have to remember that if a group is is working together, a couple people, one could say, hey, there's a couple, there's a, a guy walking down a trail, yellow lab, brown pack, get him, versus just a random hiker. Um, and you have to also think about how much track and sign that animal is going to leave behind. I mean, if it's a horse, you know, there, there's plenty of horse hooves that are going to be found, sorry, horse tracks that are going to be found along the way because that animal is such a heavy creature. Mm-hmm. So uh, there's a lot of considerations for the survivalist, um, whether they're donkeys or they're, they're dogs or, you know, they're, uh, I don't know, your random uh, random horse that you find, mm-hmm. you know, at someone someone's leftover ranch or whatever it may be, they couldn't take that horse. You just have to remember that there's those considerations, you know, that you don't have when you're you're working with just a vehicle. Yeah, yeah, all good points. Yeah. The, so there's there's one other topic that I want to cover that a lot of people might not consider basically like a vehicle, even though it is. And that's basically like if you still have if you have to go on foot. Ultimately, if that's your your bottom line, okay, it's just me and and my leather personnel carriers now. Um, there are ways to haul gear that can make it easier, especially if maybe you're injured or if packs are too heavy for other people or something like that. So what are some some ways of either improvising or planning ahead for being able to haul gear other than just sticking on your back if you still have to bug out on foot? Jeff, the best thing I can tell people is the wheeled duffel bag. Um, I mean, you you look at an airport and you don't see people running as fast when they're carrying massive bags and under both arms, but you can see people book it when they have a wheeled duffel bag. So I would recommend that a, a person, if they really needed to get out of a city, they could use a wheeled duffel bag. Uh, even if you're, you're walking through the country down a country road, a wheeled duffel bag will let you walk a lot easier, a lot further than if you, you didn't have one. Uh, if you are living somewhere where it's frozen, I'd recommend getting some type of pulk, some type of sled. You know, not just a toboggan that has string on it. I know it's summertime and we're not thinking about this, but we are. But you should get a dedicated pulk that has aluminum bars that attach to a waist belt. And you could carry, I mean, my pulk that I have from Wilderness Engineering has a 12,000 cubic inch backpack. I mean, the uh, the biggest expedition packs that are out there are 8,000, if that gives people any perspective. So I would say, you know, get some type of, you know, non-discrete or some type of discrete uh wheel duffel bag, something that doesn't have like any military colors or, or Molly or, or anything like that. Something that, that helps you blend in and a wheel duffel bag would be the way to go in a city. Um, I mean, if you're in the back country and you, you need to move a person, uh, a travois is really easy to make out of a couple nine to 12 foot branches. And you could either put blankets in between the branches, uh, a couple t-shirts that are, are kind of threaded through the shirts, through the bottom and through the sleeves, uh, or even paracord. Um, and, you know, there are plenty of other ways that you could move a lot of material quickly. I mean, if you're a fan of the Cormac McCarthy book, The Road, I mean, the, the lead character uses a shopping cart. But don't be afraid to, to grab a kid's, you know, wagon from a backyard, a wheelbarrow. Um, anything that has a wheel is going to be a hell of a lot easier to, to move than just dragging something or, or carrying something on your shoulders. Yeah. Yeah, the I was just I spoke at PrepperCon and there was somebody there that had it was called the Buck Truck, and I'm I'm a new hunter. I, I this last year was the first year that I finally got a chance to to go hunting. And if you're, you know, I guess they they make these now where they're wheeled, 
basically travois where you can put the meat in there instead of trying to haul it all out on your back or in a backpack or something like that you can wheel it on out there and that that to me was like well that makes a whole lot of sense and i know people have tried to kind of improvise those the best that they can and trying to get all that done and um and still carry it out there and uh so that's another really great option that i've just recently noticed and i think would be really beneficial yeah and one that people don't think about and it's it's kind of a Again, it's a screwed up way of thinking, but again, it's all about survival in the end. Uh, there are plenty of places where uh, you can get something wheeled. Even a hospital, you could probably find a wheelchair. You know, yeah. I mean, in hospitals, I mean, you could ask for someone to you could ask for a wheelchair to get someone from from a parking lot, and I don't I don't think they'd give you a hard time getting one if you really really needed one. Um, but again, that's a decision you have to make ahead of time, and you have to run that mental rep before you have to do it physically. Yeah, and it all goes back to our very first question and, and your answer, which is you've got to look at what, what's your destination, what what are your own particular specific needs, and your, and your environment and everything. When I was in Tenth Mountain Division, we had, and I, I totally forgot about it until you just mentioned it. But like, if obviously we were up at uh, Fort Drum, New York, and we were trained for every climate there is from jungle all the way to Arctic conditions where we were basically living in Arctic conditions during the wintertime. But we had these big, massive white sleds because that was the one time if we had to travel by foot that we didn't have some sort of other, you know, vehicle, if you call it where we could carry stuff, but the sled, they, they knew we couldn't carry that giant backpack through really thick snow. So we had these sleds that we carried behind us that made it super easy, especially when you're able to go downhill. Cause then it was like fun. Just jump on top of your rucksack on the sled and just take that thing all the way down the hill. But um, but yeah, so that's that was a. I mean, I I totally forgotten about that. But if you live in a northern climate, it makes sense that for you to plan to have the right kind of sled that you can you know haul behind you if you need to for for something like that. Yeah, and actually, uh, believe it or not, that that uh, polk that I mentioned is from uh, is from Western Engineering. They supply it to the military, and they had white ones. The one I have is white, but they only sell white to to military. Um, I got mine through the Wilderness Learning Center because you know my my mentor Marty was in the military. He struck up a conversation with those guys. Um, but yeah, that's that's a current. The, the military is currently using those uh, for good reason. They, it's a hell of a lot easier than than carrying on your back with snowshoes. And and again, I mean, winter is right around the corner for some people. Um, it it would be worthwhile considering for the the readers and the listeners out there. Yeah, awesome. Well, Kevin, thanks so much, man. This is, this really helps people, I think, to think outside the box when it comes to their evacuation plans. But for all the reasons that we talked about in the beginning, these are this really is part a critical part of your plan to be able to have a backup or uh, in under the circumstances it may end up being your primary and it's not something you want to try and just improvise on the spot in the middle of a disaster it, it does require a strong analysis right now so I, I encourage everyone to really listen to this again take notes on it and then think about your own particular circumstances and and how you're going to plan out your evacuation plan so awesome um, all right, listen, everybody. So definitely make sure you go on over to Kevin's stuff. I mean, he's writing like crazy. Like I see him in every magazine now. It feels like, and there's so he's definitely uh, he's definitely getting out there a lot. And this is your opportunity to go and see what kind of training he has available and the other information that he has. It's going to really help you put together your own plan and really fine tune it. You can go over and check him out over at his website at www.kevinestella.com. And that's K-E-V-I-N. Estella is E-S-T-E-L-A. 
Com. Go check it out. And until our next Modern Combat and Survival broadcast, this is Jeff Anderson saying prepare, train, and survive. Modern Combat and Survival. We hope you've enjoyed the show. You can help us out by rating our podcast on iTunes and leaving a comment. You can check us out on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Modern Combat and Survival. And don't forget to claim your free subscription to Modern Combat and Survival magazine at www.moderncombatandsurvival.com. Lock and load. And we'll see you next time. This has been Modern Combat and Survival.